Andy does love some Andy. It's like you're inside of my head. <laughs> what is your fascination with Peterson? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. Dear future me, <laughs> don't go to the courthouse. The Katie's moral a- of the story is don't leave your martial arts equipment and your other coat in a parallel dimension. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. <laughs> I'm Andy and I like every comic that's ever been made. I would not go to Jonathan Frake's booth because I would get space herpes. Awesome. Sweet. I think we're good to go. Let me... Do some last minute adjustments. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Epic voice time. Yes. Um. <laughs> hey, everybody. This is Luke and Micatron. We are at Emerald City Comic Con, and we are sitting down today for trade secrets with uh, Brian JL Glass, the writer and co creator of Mice Templar. Hello, hello. How's, how's your con been so oh, far? Oh, fa- absolutely fantastic. This yeah. show, I think this is my fifth year here, and every year the show has literally gotten bigger from the year before. And yeah. just this, this has just been off the hook this weekend. Yeah, yesterday was really crowded in here. Yeah. Um, I just, just trying to get out to my car and back was mm-hmm. like an hour-long endeavor. We're going to need a bigger con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see them take the whole convention center at some someday. Right, I'd, I'd see that being in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting packing into this place like Pax does with every little nook and cranny of this convention center mm-hmm. that'd be yeah, that'd be yeah. great. One can hope. Yeah, yay, com- yay, comics. Yay! <laughs> we should talk about comics. We should talk about comics. Um, comics are pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I, I, I will start. I there's a few people around that like them, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think they have a future. <laughs> One or two thousand. Yeah. Um, I, I'll start off by saying what I want to say is that I, I love Mice Templar. I'm Thank not, you. I'm not Thank caught you. up on it yet, but because Shame I'm, I'm, on you. I know, I'm always <laughs> behind on my comics, but it, uh, it got recommended to me a few years ago, and I, I've been hooked ever since. Um, Thank you. And the, I guess the place that I wanted to start, before we get into, directly into Mice Templar, is just to ask you the cliche question of, of how did you get started writing, first of all, um, and how did, how did you get into the comic industry um, and be able to do something like uh, create your own work like Mice Templar? Okay, well, the, uh, uh, I went to school for filmmaking. So many of the people in this room started off as uh, <laughs> aspiring filmmakers. And uh, after about probably my first decade of trying to bash, batter my head into the film industry, uh, came to the realization that, yeah, I could get a career in film that would have nothing to do with my actually telling stories. And that's mm. when I had my epiphany moment of, no, nah, I'm not really a film, I don't have filmmaking in my blood, I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I had just chosen film as my medium, and it's a... a Filmmaking costs a lot of money, and <laughs> and to become that guy that can truly call all of his own shots and pursue his own vision, uh, just came to the realization that wasn't going to happen anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So uh, I made a, an abrupt career shift and thought, well, let me uh, let me look into writing. And I like I didn't go to school as an English major or any of that, so it was like this this midlife course cor- uh, course correction. And thought like, well, until the until I write the great American novel, I know comics really well. I'm a huge fan. Let me 
break into comics, and this was in the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, at the very tail end of what had been the black and white explosion of the 80s. Oh, right. And uh, I, I feel throughout my life I've always just missed, like until recently, I've always just missed opportunities. It's been very frustrating. But uh, I broke in as a, a black and white self-publisher in the early 90s, just in time to watch the black and white self-publisher implosion <laughs> oh. occur. <laughs> Wow. That's yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I self-published for about seven years in the 1990s. I, I self-published as Lost Cause Productions. <laughs> and my predominant title was Spandex Tights, a ro- The Adventures of the Aerobic Duo. Wow. It was a, a female version of Batman and Robin. And they were aerobics instructors by day. They'd aerobicize evil by night. And it was a, a, a parody of all things uh, uh, comic, superhero, uh, popular culture. Are, are, these, are these available online anywhere? I like, was going to say. You, you, can, you can track them down. Okay. I'll, I'll just see if I can figure that out because that sounds hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you, should like have one at, you should have one at your table just for tongue-in-cheek purposes. <laughs> yeah. People were like, what is this? I, I'd actually like to uh, to res- resurrect my girls and, and bring them back in some form. Yeah. But, uh, Have you ever had anybody show up at a con with a copy randomly? Oh, absolutely. Like, That's yes, awesome. it, It's always great. They, they think they're bringing an embarrassment, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm still proud of all those. So, <laughs> that, that was the series where I cut my teeth. So sure. the, the earliest issues are terrible. <laughs> but you produce you know wonderful lesson for those uh, aspiring writers and such you just you produce mm-hmm. and don't get don't get torn down by the early work you do that sucks uh, you learn you know you you produce the work you you hear the criticisms that come in uh, you take you take the good criticisms you ignore the bad criticisms and that's uh, constructive criticisms mm-hmm. and, uh, and and learn you know, to find out what what you're doing wrong and uh, refine your refine your craft. So, what was your first like um, mainstream comic work then? Uh, was with uh, Mike Oming. Uh, we did a series that started at Caliber called Ship of Fools. Okay. It was a, a science fiction adventure. We did uh, a, it was Mad Men in space, not Mad Men the TV show. <laughs> like the, these were actually e- each character in Ship of Fools suffered from a distinct psychological malfunction, and they banded together. And it was their very madness that made them uh, a threat to the status quo of the the galactic government in, in that series. So they were they were deemed a threat, and they were. Uh, one was a homicidal maniac. One was a sociopath, and <laughs> together <laughs> these madmen were going to overthrow the empire. That's cool. Well, how did that um, kind of following it through? How did that lead into you getting the chance to do Mice Templar and 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 kind of moving from you know the the first mainstream works you did now to your your own creator owned stuff that kind of you're focusing on? Okay, uh, for that I I truly have to thank Mike Oming. Um, we had done uh, Ship of Fools together. He had helped out a whole lot on spandex tights back in the 90s. And by the very end of the 90s, we, we both, I mean, the industry was in a horrible, horrible shape. When, whenever you hear anyone talking the doom and gloom about the digital transition, that's nothing compared to what it was like a decade ago when you, you'd be at a convention in 1997 and all the backroom talk was about how there wouldn't even be an industry in the year 2000. Mm. It, it was truly a, a scary, doom-filled time. And so by, by 98, I had dropped out of comics, never believing I'd be back. By 99, 
Mike wasn't producing anything being published, and uh, Mike. What brought Mike back into the biz was uh, Brian Bendis called him about. Uh, Let's do that creator-owned thing we've always talked about doing, and they created Powers. Mm-hmm. That launched, utterly resuscitated, revitalized Mike Oming's career. Yeah. And within, like, it was thrilling for me to watch that happen for him. And it was like three years later, uh, in the success of Powers, uh, Mike had successfully uh, produced his own creator-owned work. Uh, and that kind of let him know he wasn't just, it wasn't just the... Uh, Brian Bendis effect that okay. Mike was a legitimate creator on his own and once he felt assured of that one of the first phone calls he made was me oh, wow. and he said hey it's look think you know, the sun is shining again it's time to bring you back <laughs> nice so how did you guys get started creating Mice Templar then uh, Mice Templar was something that Mike had always uh, He'd begun doodling these these rat characters inspired by the uh, the Secret of Nim, oh, uh, yeah. or the animated, and uh, he I don't know if this is an apocryphal story or not, but uh, he he's got this little tale that once when he was a kid he was he was drawing and he he had heard a special on television about the Knights Templar and as a kid he heard Mice Templar. Oh wow! And when someone corrected him, he's like the apocryphal tale is like he he thinks he said back that uh, well it would have been better with mice. <laughs> <laughs> so when he when he started drawing these secret the secret of Nim rats and people would ask him what are you doing, he would say I'm drawing Mice Templar. And then by the 90s, he had created a, a couple of little strips of just this this fantasy world with mice and swords. And they, they went up on his website mm-hmm. you know, in the late 90s. And uh, he had written a six-issue miniseri- uh, miniseries proposal that then just got filed away and forgotten about. And together, uh, in 2003, we were doing a Robert McKee story conference. And I recommend to any aspiring writers, get Robert McKee's book, Story. And if you can do his conference, do his conference. It's, okay. it, it will open your eyes to the, the real uh, magic of storytelling. It was really, it, it was life-altering for me. Oh, wow. But uh, so we're, we're doing the Robert McKee conference, and one night over dinner, Mike mentions, you know, I'm finally going to, you know, I'm going to do my Templar. And I'm like, oh, great, great. I've always loved that. That's going to be awesome. And he said, well, I, I pulled out my six-issue synopsis, and I reread it, and I'm, I'm not a world builder. And I, <laughs> uh, I'd like you to come aboard and build me a world and build a world that then resonates, that the, the story actually has resonance with the world and the mythology. And he just he gave me total free license to, uh, to, to create. And the, the first question I asked him was, well, how did the Templar fall? And he just said, well, the Templar fell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so in, I thought, like, well, for the story to really have significance, I need to know how that happened. Why did this order fall? Mm-hmm. And in answering that question, the story just exploded ex- exponentially, and it went from Mike's original six issues into the 32-34 issue saga we're doing now. Nice. Wow. Uh, so, it's, uh, so he came up with the story. And this, it's very interesting because at the, the beginning of this talk, you spoke about how you were in film, and this seems like a, 
in, in my experience, films that are very good end up in similar style to what you've done for creating a comic. Uh, so someone comes, someone has a story, comes to you, and then a person who is able to build a world, who is able to uh, expound upon that, you mm-hmm. have made a, my essentially a more rich world. Uh, and that's actually fantastic. Do you believe that it actually just makes it far better that way? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do have things I've created myself that I'm very, very anxious to to get to in, in this biz. Uh, but to, to collaborate in this fashion, like Mice Templar is truly this magical... Uh, two, two, two creative guys getting together and meshing so well. Uh, we just... we. Uh, we think very differently, but yet we love all the same things. Mm-hmm. And because we're we're friends first and foremost, uh, the the creativity is just you know, phenomenal. When when we get together, when we start bouncing story ideas, and like Mike is so he can be so off the wall and incredible. And then I come in and I I'll ground some of those ideas and like you know make make it fit in this particular. Um, Make make it fit the tale that we're going to do. You're a writer, and you make it believable o- yeah, over that, anything. That hopefully, uh, when I, when I spoke with him, he he talked a lot about how you uh, push the character development further, mm-hmm. and that's that's the the main thing that that made the stories so large in comparison to his synopsis. It, it, this is a very it's a very interesting process in comparison to say the big two, mm-hmm. where a you know a script is made. Uh, the writer does the writing thing, creates the world, does it, or the world's even created beforehand. Yes, and yeah. you know you have like this guideline that you go to, and then you hand a script to an, an illustrator, or and then they just create it, or even an editor, and then it just goes to an illustrator somewhere. Yes, I, you yeah. Know? Uh, do you believe this is the future of comics? Um, I I wouldn't say the future, but I believe the. F- the future for creator-owned is brighter now than it has ever been. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you look at the history of comics, and uh, it, it, it while the big two, uh, the corporate approach to comics has always been there, going all the way back to uh, uh, the syndication things of the, the 40s, mm-hmm. uh, where, where Will Eisner was working, where Jack Kirby got his start. Uh, they were they were working for uh, uh, newspaper syndicates, and uh, the, a lot of the pulp magazines were owned by larger companies, and creators were were paid scraps for producing these legendary things. But even from that point through to the through the present time, there have always been people pursuing their individual visions, and it's just now in the digital age, uh, anyone now can pick up pen and paper or, or digital ta- uh, tablet and type, draw, create, and put their work up online. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's just an amazing time. Yeah, there's a lot of doom and gloom in the industry about digital and what it's going to do to the to the you know the paper, the physical mm-hmm. version. But it seems, and I don't know if you agree, but it seems like it's, it's so much better for creators in general because now you have seems like in situations where people have a world and, and, and a characters like yours that, that you want to get out there, you have the opportunity to get them out there and get them seen in much more uh, viable ways than you did even 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's an, it's an amazing time. It's, mm-hmm. it's no longer the doom and gloom where we're wondering whether there's going to be a comic industry. Uh, yeah. 
it, it may change, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's here to stay. Yeah, uh, my, my local comic shop where uh, in Pennsylvania that I do my shopping at, I'll give a shout out here, Comic Universe, Frank Link. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he, he takes good care of me at the shop. So uh, uh, it's been a... a, a running commentary between me, or discussion between me and him for the past three years about how how this digital age is going to impact his store and, and his livelihood, his future. And just this past week, when I went in to get my new comics, he started talking about how in the wake of the last of the uh, Walking Dead season finale, mm -hmm. that he just had this huge boom in his shop of just people who had never even been in comics suddenly sought out the store and cleared him out of every Walking Dead trade, every Walking Dead issue, and then he reordered, and everything he reordered blew out, and then he yeah. reordered again, and he said in, in one fell swoop, he said all this doom and gloom about how the print media is going to be dead, and all it took was, for, for him personally, all it took was this one big thing on television mm -hmm. to bring hordes back into his store and it, th they didn't want to just download it have it on their little uh, iPod iPad mm -hmm. they uh, they wanted to own the physical thing that they could take in the bathroom with them they put up sure. on their bookshelf and he, he was just beaming after a couple of years of, uh, of doom and he just he said the words uh, uh, I'm, I'm no longer worried about the future of my business anymore that's an incredible thing to hear. Like, I, um, I don't know if you've seen this too, but I, I think that for me anyway, digital drives me to buy uh, print comics. Mm -hmm. Like, I will buy a digital comic to try out the first few issues and see if I like it. Yeah. And if I like it, I'm going to go get the book. Um, what's uh, what's in the future for for Mice Templar going forward right now? Like, how how much is left? What do you got going? Okay, well, we we literally just a month ago finished volume three, mm -hmm. and we're in the process now of creating our trade collection, uh, working on all the back matter, the special features, mm -hmm. and uh, at the same t so that should be out by summer, and we're also getting ahead on the climactic volume four that should debut this fall. Okay. And Mice Templar from the very beginning was designed with an, an end point in sight. Uh, it was, at that point, it was only going to be 25 issues, so we've, we've expanded by about seven issues since then. Yeah. But that's, that's just the, the organicness of, of creation. You, mm -hmm. you get new inspirations. Uh, a character that you didn't think was going to be significant, you, you got inspired and suddenly, like, whoa, this guy deserves his own arc. And he needs his own finish in the fourth volume. And next thing you know, you've, it's, the story continues to expand, but in a very natural way. Mm -hmm. But we're still on target for the ending that was originally planned. And so that'll be volume four starting in the fall. And I think volume four, we're still shaking out some bugs, but it's going to be between 12 and 14 issues. Oh, nice. So it's, it's ending big. Cool. That's exciting. I did a little fist pump there that said, uh, yeah. you actually said it was ending, and I kind of did a fist pump because it's not like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. You, yep. you are coming to a natural end. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fuzzy where that ends, but you, you're, you're doing it as it should be instead yeah. of just, you know, continuing for the sake of getting a paycheck. Yeah, know? yeah. It's, uh, the, the universe of Mice Templar is always going to be there. But issue one set a very specific story in motion. And that story had a very definite ending planned before we ever scripted or Mike drew issue one. 
And uh, so we'll get to that end. A story in that world will be done, but that world will always be there for us to, you know, if 10 years from now, if we want to return to Mice Templar and do another adventure set mm -hmm. in that same history, that same timeline, that same universe, we can do that. That's what I was going to ask next, actually, was... Um do you think there would, might ever be a time after you've finished with this storyline that you would um, have other creators come in and, and kind of play in your sandbox at all? Oh, we'd, we'd love to do that. Uh, I, our, the original plan was we wanted in between each of our arcs to do an anthology. But if we were to do that now, we'd, we'd, we'd be <laughs> perceived as following uh, someone sure. else's precedent. I guess, I guess then we'll, we'll wrap up with one question. Once, once Mice Templar is done, do you have any plan for what's coming next? Absolutely. Oh. Uh, I have a, my, my head is a filing cabinet. I've got about a, a dozen original stories that I'm just mm -hmm. chomping at the bit to do. But there's only so many hours in the day. So right now I'm focusing on uh, two other creator-owned projects in development as we speak. Uh, that are the farthest thing from mice as you can imagine. So, one is a, one's a horror tale, and one is a uh, super uh, my own my own take on a superhero idea. Are those both uh, planned for solidly after Mice Templar, or are they they're going to be any crossover at all? Uh, I'm hoping that uh, at least one of the two will coincide with the uh, shortly after Volume 4 begins. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that w one or the other will be out also before the end of the year. That's awesome. Do you have do you have publisher and everything ready to go? Or yeah, well, I'm, I'm in a pretty good place in Image, so good. I mean, I still have to go through a, a particular uh, submission uh, <laughs> process. But uh, they, 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 they seem to like me. <laughs> That's Fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you very much for sitting down with us and talking for, oh, for a little while. Uh, uh, the fourth volume starts when? when uh, it? It, well, we're not on the schedule yet, but okay. it, it should be starting sometime this fall. Okay. And the, and the third volume just ended, so you're going to have trades out by sometime, the summer. By the yep. summer? Yep. Awesome. Again, thank you for sitting down with us. Thank and, you very uh, much. I hope you had a great Emerald City Comic Con. Ah, that is all, off the hook. Yeah.